Hey, I'm Aika Spencer, and I love fandom. I love the writing, some of which I create, the art, none of which I create, and the many aspects that make it up. With the pandemic in full swing, I decided the best way not to go crazy was to start a podcast around it. This one, Down the Fandom Hole, Conversations With. So putting on my big girl bra, I took a chance and reached out to other fandom creators, asking if they would like to share their voice and experiences around it. Amazingly, most of them have said yes. So taking a moment, we sit down and chat about topics like creativity, taking risks, self-care, and many more. I am humbled that I got to chat with all of these brilliant and interesting creators from around the world, and it has only cemented my belief that fandom can also be a bridge and common ground to inclusivity. We are all valid, and fandom helps us envision worlds in which we are. God, isn't fandom fucking amazing? Anyway, to keep me from rambling on, let's get this show started. Today's episode is a bit of a break from the usual fare, and is also kind of a herald for some of the changes I will be working on while on hiatus during the month of September. New episodes will be out October 1st, just in time for Fandom Friday. But continuing on, I am thrilled to share my chat with Nightbloom6, who wrote an interesting dissertation about fandom, identity, and RPFs, or real player fanfiction which can be found on the free companion post on patreon.com slash down the fandom hole, along with some other fun tittles of information. Now, before we get this thing started, what are your pronouns? She, her, they, them. Okay, so kind of starting this off, a mutual friend of ours, My Ship is Sinking, introduced us because you wrote a dissertation called The Importance of Community in the Construction of Identity, Fandoms, and Fantasizers. Your dissertation was a really fascinating read, and I was just wondering, what came first? Was it your love of fandom, or you're wanting to kind of delve more into the personal aspects of it? Oh, definitely my love of fandom. Like, I've been writing for fandom and kind of engaging with it on Tumblr Mm -hmm. for, like, several years, and it was, like, kind of what inspired the dissertation to a degree. Like in my undergrad, I wrote a paper about kind of the queer baiting that goes on on TV shows. And because we had to talk about like gender and sexuality, or we could have chosen to talk about that. So I went the fandom route and how, you know, queer representation just isn't enough. And how when we do get it, it's either very stereotypical or people end up getting killed off like Lexa after Mm -hmm. they consummate their relationship and um or like with Supergirl there's a lot of queer baiting that's going on and the difference between queer coding queer baiting and there's another one that I've kind of blanked on Encoding? Um, uh no I, I can't remember what it was but um basically I wrote that undergrad and then I was like this is actually really cool I want to explore this a bit more so then that's kind of where the idea for my dissertation came out of. So what kind of biases did you notice that you went into before starting the research? And then what did you find, like new things you didn't realize could be possible? Or what did you learn from it after? I think going into it, like obviously because I was a part of fandom 
there were definitely things that I knew about that say an outsider wouldn't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this kind of privileged knowledge and I had to try to not let that color my interviews and not let that color what I was writing. But there was definitely an element of that privileged knowledge there. Um, and it was helpful at times because, you know, I knew what questions to ask to then open people up. And also it gained me a level of trust um, so that people felt like they, they could participate in my research. And um, because I had been previously at, cause I did consider creating a new account for my research, mm-hmm. but I was like, no, I want the history of having been here. I want people to know that they can trust me and I'm not just a random researcher who doesn't actually care about mm-hmm. fandom and doesn't understand it um, and who's just trying to write something that will inevitably probably be negative. Um, and something I did find quite interesting that I wasn't expecting was the responses I got about RPF and there was quite a lot of positive about it, which I did find interesting, but there were also these these lines that I probably I hadn't really thought about before that some people when they found it you know okay or not okay or like they wouldn't read it but they're not going to trash the person that's writing it and I found that really interesting to explore. For the listeners at home who maybe don't know what RPF is can you explain a little bit about it? Um, Yeah that's real person fan fiction so that is when someone writes something about say the actors Mm -hmm. rather than their characters so for example there's a lot about um instead of Clark Griffin and Lexa there's a lot about Alicia um Devin Karam and Eliza Taylor yeah so that that's what um RPF is I know I've heard of it myself and my biggest concern with RPF as a fanfic writer or I guess what you would call a Oh, uh, what did you call them? My brain is farting again. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. So fanfic writers are prosumers. So they're uh, producers of content while also consuming content. So mm-hmm. you consume the canon text, but then you produced your own text from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you would be a fantasizer. Do you mind explaining a little bit more about fantasizers? Yeah, so the, the the fantasizer, it is a sliding spectrum. Um, it's a it's a term from the psychology literature. So basically my discipline is mm-hmm. social anthropology. And part of the reason I was so enamored to do this research, partly is because in social anthropology there's very little to do with online groups. Um, as opposed to sociology. So a lot of the texts I used in my dissertation were psychology and sociology based. Um, I tried to use what I could from anthropology because obviously there's, there is stuff that may not be talking exactly about what I'm talking about, but it's relevant. I can, I found the section. Yeah. So the, the fantasizer um, is also known as fantasy addicts or fantasy prone personalities. So they have a, so fantasizers have a great capacity for imaginative involvement um, and temporal 
absorption and the pleasure that is derived from fantasy and fantastical experiences. So basically that's just anyone who engages in fandom. And then there's the um, next level of the true fictional area, which is what I use to describe individuals that engage in real person fan fiction but they go across the line to then engage with the actors as well and Mm -hmm. show them the work that they've written of them you know fucking their (laughs) colleague so so they you know they don't quite understand the difference between reality and fiction and they don't quite understand why there are boundaries between them so that's the true fiction friction era yeah that's one of my biggest concerns is that, you know, sometimes in fan fiction where it's Lena and Kara, we create stories that delve very deeply into traumas or smut that would be questionable in real life. Mm. And then if you were to do that with a person who is a real person, it kind of draws a weird great it creates this weird boundary line that you're like "Ah." these people yes they are public figures but Mm. if we understand i'm like i'm worried that a line gets crossed unintentionally sometimes Mm. because you're creating these ships out of these real people who Mm. play and portray fictional characters and i think in your dissertation you talked about a guy named patrick kane who mm. in real life he has a sexual assault case against him and then suddenly those people who enjoyed the f- real person fan fiction no longer wanted to consume that so it's like they're aware that there's a boundary and it kind of is like the moment that the real life person crosses a line that they find deplorable suddenly it becomes a non-starter for them I mean, that's applicable also in to their fictional work as well, in the mm-hmm. sense that when the whole thing with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp was going on, everyone boycotted anything Johnny Depp was in. And, you know, since then it's come out that I don't even really know what the state of that case is, but apparently Amber Heard has been lying and she was also abusing Johnny Depp. Whether or not he abused her is still kind of up questioning but regardless, you know, there's that whole boycotting because they found the behaviors apparent. And with the whole crossing the line, I think, you know, from the responses I got from the people I interviewed and the observational data that I collected, it was kind of, if you're producing it and consuming it for yourself and a select group of people who wish to consume that, it's okay because it's staying within that private realm to an exa- to, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you are promoting it and pushing it on people that don't wish to consume it, particularly these real people who you've written stories about, mm-hmm. that's when that line gets crossed for a lot of people from my, what I found in my research. So I think it's definitely a great area. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, I agree. But moving out of the whole real person fan fiction, it was also mm. nice to read about how fandom and fan fiction in general and um, specifically was able to allow people to kind of figure themselves out identity wise mm. and even sexual orientation wise and how you have studies that are proving this and showing it and 
when you, you started your research, was it something that kind of confirmed what you thought or was there extra that you're like, oh, I didn't even realize this or it kind of give you a deeper understanding of it? I think starting it to a degree, there was an understanding that this this was an experience, whether or not it would be everyone's experience mm-hmm. um, or it'd be a common commonality among people. Uh, that's kind of what got confirmed for me. I did a lot of retrospective thinking and a lot of reflexive thinking mm-hmm. while I was writing it, while I was interviewing, and obviously at the end of the project, both on myself and the project as a whole. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think there was a lot of confirmation and validation of myself through this project. Because, you know, a, a lot of it was, you know, I, I kind of got the questions initially like for the first couple of interviews from what I'd read in the literature as well as what mm-hmm. had kind of been my experience. And then obviously like questions developed as I got more uh, people giving me answers. It was definitely uh, interesting um, because obviously you don't want to go into anything with, with preconceived notions, but you go into something with a hypothesis. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, you have to think of that you might find something so going into it, I was like, you know, uh, this might be the case. And I, I do wish I had interviewed more people that identified as being heterosexual because I only interviewed uh, one or two. And I think that would have been a lot nicer kind of degree of difference. Mm-hmm. But it, even then, they also said that, you know, while it wasn't their sexuality they explored through fandom, there were other aspects of their identity that they explored and kind of developed through fandom so it it seemed to be like a common a common theme which was quite nice yeah it's nice to create these safe worlds where you're not having to fight against people hating you or feeling like you just like you discuss them because you don't love in a mainstream way or you don't identify in a mainstream way it's also just the representation because you know that was a reason a lot of people went to fandom or go to fandom is because that's where the representation is there's not the representation Mm -hmm. in mass media and if if there is it's a very um hollywood centric version of it so it's very stereotypical or it's either in a positive or well in a negative way or very uh two-dimensional and like with the gay man being very effeminate and being Mm -hmm very this or that or being very masculine and very homophobic and like internalized homophobia you know it's never the other way around or there's never the complexities of human beings within these characters they're there for a comedic relief or the first to die or um to be the bad guy no we definitely need to expand our mainstream media's view on what a gay man and lesbian woman are beyond Mm. just comedic relief or tragic characters or whatever else they put us in that doesn't make us feel like we could be more like Supergirl and Cara Danvers and Mm. you know I don't know of many shows I'm sure there's maybe one or two out there and so my lack of knowledge in that respect is problematic on my end Mm. but I know that that growing up it was hard to find it's also just the confirmation of it as well because you know a lot of times there'll be confirmation after 
a series has ended or there'll be all these kind of arguments of oh why why do they have to spell it out you know they shouldn't have to spell it out it doesn't matter and it would be lovely if we lived in a world where it didn't matter and it didn't have to be something that was spelled out Mm -hmm. about when you are living in a time where you don't see healthy representation Mm -hmm. of your identity that is what ends up to having internalized homophobia and having hate crimes against Mm -hmm. gay people or queer people people of lgbt communities you know because that's the thing that there are movies and there are tv shows that are centered on these like gay gay women and uh, gay male characters but they are not healthy relationships by by any stretch of the imagination they are, are often abusive or manipulative and there may be some good aspects to it but people cling to these very small and far between instances of representation and they're mm-hmm. like, watch this movie. It has a fe- like a gay female lead, and it's actually a terrible movie. Or the the characterization is is very traumatic for a lot of people. Or you know, there's um, a sexual assault scene, or whatever there may be. And the and only I, reason we promote it is because it's the only representation there. And I mean, I think there's this underlying fear that if we don't supported in some way and they're like oh exactly so it's just Mm. like unless we have more people in positions where they can create content that is Mm. a little more true to how lesbians interact in relationships how they get along with each other and then Mm. how or even men transgender non-binary you know how they act more towards each Mm. other like i think the l word um generation q kind of touches on it but it also kind of has this disingenuous tropes and stuff so yeah and i mean like the movie the happiest season i don't know if you've seen that not yet um i i didn't like it to be honest um Mm -hmm. i like there were so many things that they could have done so much better like i i I don't want to spoil anything for you just at the ending I was not happy I felt like they approached a very very big topic and a very relevant topic in a lot of queer people's lives mm-hmm. and they spent two seconds on it and the character was redeemed and I do not feel like the character A should have been redeemed with that little amount of time mm-hmm. and if they were they would have had to work for it mm-hmm. um it's just it's a very there's a lot of problematic um, attitude in the movie which I understand where it comes from and I understand that it is real for some people mm-hmm. but they they didn't give that redemption they didn't give the time for that redemption and everything's mm-hmm. just suddenly okay at the end and it's like well <laughs> no yeah I mean see that's kind of like the thing with a lot of tv shows and stories like even on Supergirl Kara mm. has huge traumatic moments that are never fully addressed in a way that don't feel like they're brushed under the rug like she had to give up monel and i have Mm. no issues with monel she had to literally irradiate the world with iron to get rid of taxamites which included her her boyfriend husband i'm thinking middle her boyfriend who was slowly turning into a good guy but was not that great of a guy but she mm. still had a connection to him 
And it's like, yeah. it didn't even matter. And you're like, I mean, and that's another thing that goes on, you know, male characters are allowed to be dicks after a traumatic mm-hmm. event, but it's brushed off because they've had this traumatic event and they're allowed time to mm-hmm. process it and deal with it. But female characters never are. They're just expected to carry on, soldier mm-hmm. on and be fine. And it's so damaging because it's perpetuating a that men can be abusive mm-hmm. and it's okay because they're processing trauma mm-hmm. and women just have to take it and they just have to smile and get on with their day doesn't matter what their trauma is mm-hmm. and it's so dangerous it really is and all it does is it it creates a life perpetuating art and art perpetuating life stereotypes that are mm disingenuous to what actually goes on i mean yes mm-hmm. some people do actually live these things because they see it on tv and they're like oh i guess this is how i have to be but mm-hmm. like, it's not and any oh. sort of tv show that tries to even touch upon it i think sometimes are blacklisted by the people in power who are like no no, no this isn't going to give us ratings because they think mm-hmm. they know what people want because they create the content but like Mm. if you give me an authentic show where people are flawed they fuck up they mess up they have moments where they don't talk to each other and the the person has to claw their way back to being in another person's good graces that's what it should look like like i'm i'm terrified to watch supergirl i'm like Mm. you have all of what 20 20 episodes how can Lena Luther truly claw herself back into a position where she's not considered irredeemable? You know, uh, he's coming up. He's, I actually have not watched season six. I'm very concerned about it. But what I've heard is not good. I think I stopped after season four. <laughs> I'm like, I won't even like fix right now unless I absolutely have to. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to read these yet. You know, I mean, the parts about fan fictions that fan fiction that I enjoy the most, and even fan art themselves, is the ability to create these worlds where, mm. like, I myself, I'm heavily into ABO, and it's not for the the ruts and the heats and all those dubious consent aspects. It's for the mm. gender fluidity of these people. So you have a woman with a dick who's still considered a woman. I'm still considered mm. attractive and gorgeous. You've got a man with a v- vagina, even though we never actually talk about that, at least because it's sapphic in nature. But, mm. and it's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I love it for, like, that additional kind of, like, I love the ones where they actually turn into wolves. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just love that. But also it's just, you know, that, that additional connection that there is Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily about the genitalia or anything like that Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah I don't know I don't know man (laughs) (laughs) I I I like the gender fluidity of it I like the fact Mm. that I mean you can have technically like gay relationships in in an alpha in a ABO fic where one person's an a female alpha, one person's a male alpha, and they're having a sexual relation. Technically, that could, if we looked at it as a gender issue, be considered mm. gay. Mm. It's just two people who have fallen in love, have the same gender, but they're not necessarily the same sex. Yeah. 
you know and so it's just like uh, I, I like that aspect of it that's my thing and there are some people out there who who see it for that purpose as well you know they're like I like that there's people out there who are gender fluid in some way and that makes me feel better and maybe I feel more like I can do this and I can do that you know and on the more quiet side I feel like someone telling me not to promote it is telling those people that they aren't valid uh definitely and and the thing is everyone's welcome to their own Mm -hmm. interpretations like if this is a trans person Mm -hmm. and they feel that this is undercutting them Mm -hmm. you know that that that's really unfortunate but they should speak to you in the sense of saying, hey, you know, this this is my gender identity, my sexuality, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is invalidating me because of X, Y, Z. And if it's like a terminology issue or if it's, you know, if it's something very specific that you can easily fix on your mm-hmm. end and, it, you know, then that's fine. But if it's something to do with them and how they see themselves, Mm-hmm. then that's kind of like, at least it might help them, you know, understand that it's with them and not with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Like any of the stories I've written, there are none of that. In fact, I created um, in one of the stories, a child who basically has the same kind of chromosomal problems as a child with Down syndrome, except it's a stasis, it's a status issue. So like, they're kind of like both sexes as Mm. so they have alpha and omega in them because i rarely use betas yeah i'm like that's just simplified and so because of i I think i called it idiopathic dysmorphic syndrome children with this may pull more alpha than omega or omega than alpha and they will also have cognitive disabilities so a child of five may actually be more similar to a child of three. I haven't written that story in a while, but the trope itself allows for these new ideas that maybe could be conducive with people who are intersex and mm. pull more one more, more of one gender, but show as another kind of thing, you know, and it kind of, could easily validate them if that's what they see I could be wrong I could be just posting labels on someone that's not me so I have to be careful with it but the response is actually pretty good they're like oh okay this is actually kind of cool you know mm. and I'm like I-, I need to start writing that story again but it's it- yeah I mean I understand where they're coming from where in the mm-hmm. sense it could invalidate trans identity Mm-hmm. But that's very specific people, very specific writing. So mm-hmm. it's it's not a throw the baby out with the bathwater type of situation, which is the same with RPF, even though, you know, it's not mm-hmm. my cup of tea. I would never condemn all of it or condemn all the people writing it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you have to, you have, it's a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if you find a writer you don't like, you either, I don't know, don't read them or do what you go or, or instead of like trying to attack them, promote the writers that you feel do embody what you think is a good thing. Mm. So on a more fandom fan fiction personal note, kind Mm -hmm. of inspires you. What 
may, what gets you to write and where do you find most of your stories coming from? Uh, well, my first story, which was my biggest, um, that was purely because I wanted to read some werewolf stuff. And at the time, there was only ABO and it was, there was a lot of like smut ABO. Um, and at the time, I just, I didn't want to read that. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, if it's not there, I'll write it myself. <laughs> Which is one of the great things, right? Yeah. Um, and then since then, I've done quite a bit of like one shots. And those have just been, you know, some people sent me prompts. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a story's come to mind when I saw a certain prompt. Um, and then the other multi-chapter story that I've written it was only really meant to be a couple of chapters and then <laughs> it turned it turned into a bit of a bigger thing but the chapters were a lot shorter mm-hmm. and it was interesting because I, I the story was exploring kind of Lena and her mental health and I and I started writing it because my mental health just wasn't good at the time mm-hmm. so it was kind of like a journey for both of us <laughs> So you write mainly to like filter things out or do you also write things that are just fluff based? Oh, I, d- I definitely write just fluff. Like I did one that was one of the prompts, you know, it, w- it was just Kara sleep flying and that's how Lena found out that she was Supergirl. Well, she, she already knew, but like, you know, yeah. So there, there are a lot of fluff ones at, at the moment. You know, I haven't posted anything for a couple of years now. Um, and that's just partially because I'm so busy writing for university that I just don't have the time. Or when I do have the time, I just don't want to be writing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to do anything else but write. Um, and that's kind of when I started doing a bit more fan art because I could still engage just in a different medium. And, you know, I, I would read stories that I would see a very clear image in my head. So I, I would draw it. Not always the best drawings compared to some of the other artists out there, but <laughs> I try. I mean, I get commissions, uh, not for fandom stuff, but I get commissions for other stuff. So That's uh, good. Yeah. It's like a side yeah. hustle. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually working on one at the moment. So that's quite nice. A little bit of a break from writing. So what was your um, shift that brought you into fandom? Well, I think the one that made me engage the most was Kalexa. And, you know, uh, Super Corp is a big one. Um, Helen's, Helen, uh, Camilla and, um, God, I forget her name. <laughs> it's been so long since I've watched it. Yeah, Camilla and Shira and Katra. And yeah, there are just so many. It's all the gays. It's all the gays. But um, <laughs> you know, and it goes back to the whole thing of representation. And you know, reading wise, I read so many like AUs, and I've just consumed so much fandom content because mm-hmm. you know it's it's just so good. And there are certain you know fan fictions that I've read that the authors have changed the character names and changed a little bit of information and they've they've gone on to publish the stories because they're just so well written and yeah it's just just amazing yeah I mean it's great that fan fiction allows you to act as sort of a sandbox so you can try 
different themes and different tropes and different AUs. So, you know, you can, if, even if you've never engaged in BDSM, you can write a BDSM fic. And hopefully you do a lot of research before you write this fic, but you know, yes. you don't have to. Yes. Um, I think what's important is just consent, respecting of people's boundaries and space. That's at the end of the day, I think that's the most important and you don't overly victimize one or the other. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like on the fence about uh, people who haven't engaged in a BDSM, a, a healthy BDSM relationship, writing mm-hmm. fic about it because, you know, we have Fifty Shades of Grey, which was a BDSM uh, mm-hmm. Twilight fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And that's introduced so many people into the scene who don't actually know what it is or have a very warped view of it, or they just want to like slightly spice up their vanilla sex. And I think that was very damaging because, you know, if you're going to, you know, for a fanfic, it, it, it is what it is. You know, certain mm-hmm. people will read it, certain people won't. You're not going to do a lot of damage. But when you're publicizing a book that you know blew up like hers did you know the first book she didn't necessarily know that was going to happen whatever you can make excuses Mm -hmm. whatever but writing the second and the third she should have consulted with people from the scene or you know there just should just there should have been at least some research on her part which I don't believe there was because again that was such an abusive relationship in the mainstream media that particularly for heterosexual couples demonstrates what love should quote unquote love should be and it's so damaging because then queer people will also base their relationships to a degree on that representation Mm -hmm. and you just get this cycle of abusive and unhealthy relationships Mm -hmm. no that's true I'm uh, it's just unfortunate you know, if if people mm. are willing to criticize you in a constructive way and go, hey, this is kind of questionable, blah, 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 and offer you, you their opinion without uh, poking, the, pointing the finger at you, like realizing, yeah, like, and you've made mistakes. Like, yeah, and that's like such a good thing about fandom, but mm-hmm. obviously that wasn't <laughs> the case because I think until Fifty Shades came out, obviously, the BDSM community, like the gay community, you know, in, in the speakeasies and behind the scenes, which is mm-hmm. actually hilarious considering the presence of leather daddies in the queer community and within um, the Stonewall riots and everything. Well, these are things I didn't know about. I got to do more research. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, for the Stonewall riots, it was lesbians, uh, uh-huh. leather daddies, and drag queens and transgender individuals who Mm -hmm. were fighting you know there were some gay men but it it was predominantly these other groups and yet you know uh, gay men think they own everything um (laughs) but a stereotyping there myself but (laughs) white gay men anyway um so you know that they've always been a part of our community as you know outsiders or other people and they were a bit in the shadows until this book. And this book is just a terrible representation of their communities. And it allowed a lot of predators and a lot of bad people to abuse other people because 
they came in with a naivete of what they had seen and what was considered acceptable mm-hmm. apart from people like to to newbies or to people not within the community and you know now whenever anyone joins any of these groups because I have a few friends in the scene you know there's this massive push about consent and about guidelines and rules and you know it's one of the most strictest communities rule-wise that I've ever encountered and a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's this massive misrepresentation of it now in the media I think that's a good thing then especially considering what some of the play involves I mean some oh, of the no, stuff def- that... definitely I mean the thing is it, it was always there mm-hmm. the trouble is that now there's a lot of people who claim to be in the scene who actually just abuse people right um, yes and they and they jump from like club to club mm-hmm. and you know that that's the problem as opposed to the people already in the scene because they already had all these guidelines and everything mm-hmm. but you're you're getting a lot of people that don't actually want to be in the scene they just want to spice up their life their love lives or they want to think of um arenas where abuse is okay but it's not it's it's actually yeah, well so- structured yeah, so there's people going there thinking that they can get away with abusing other people, and there's other, mm-hmm. you know, other people going there thinking that it's just handcuffs and a little bit of light whipping. <laughs> um, which it can be, but which which it, which, it, which it really can be, but that's not what you would go to like a BDSM community for. You know, that's just you can easily spice up your own love life with that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, it, it's brought it in the mainstream, which, you know, is always, it's a double-edged sword. And you go to the community to find like-minded people and like-minded partners. Um, this is from my understanding, obviously. I'm not within the community, so I can't mm-hmm. speak on it 100%. Um, but from my understanding, it's, it's, you know, like fandom, it's a community. You go there to engage with other people, either... You know, it's not always like swingers night or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, they they have meetings and they are friends and, you know, they have these connections that we have through fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just about sex and even, you know, these acts of domination and submission, um, whether it be pet slave, master, dom, sub, you know, whatever. It's not necessarily about the sex either it's about trust it's about communication it's about you know the all these other elements of fulfilling relationships it's just expressed in a different way and that's kind of what the community is also there for to help build that and it's this whole nuance about like it being about sex that's the problem I suppose yeah because I really actually like the whole BDSM app BDSM community because of the whole communication and the understanding mm. of the limits and the truths about being honest with each other and having that super open communication that I mm. think a lot of mainstream relationships don't often have like you have the husbands yeah. who don't tell their wives things and then you have the wives mm-hmm. who tell their husband things and the communication yeah. is sometimes lacking which yeah I think the issue is it within the media representation of what BDSM is mm-hmm. it's it's reproducing those whole secrets it's not reproducing 
what the community is about like that openizer communication those openizer mm-hmm. trust you know trust building aftercare it doesn't focus on that it focuses mm-hmm. on uh, you know untrue aspects or very small aspects of what it's about mm-hmm. and that's the problem no i agree with that uh we need to be a little bit more honest about what it is and even with some of the fan fiction I I like when they have the uh, the conversations about the trust and the mm-hmm. the stu- uh the boundaries and what turns you on what turns you off what are your hard limits and you know those kind of things the yeah the entire interplay that goes along with it mm-hmm. so what does fandom represent for you like what are the things that you yourself get out of fandom I get a lot of understanding and community out of fandom, but I also get a space where I can decompress from like my life and just like, you know, the hecticness of working as well as studying and writing, you know, it's this place where I can just kind of chill. fandom's awesome for that i it's it's nice to feel like you're part of a community especially when you can find other writers where you can talk to them and engage Mm. with them and kind of brainstorm with them and yeah definitely it's nice when the fandom works as a whole and can be community and supportive with each other and it's unfortunate when there's um dissent and Mm. disagreements among the same fandoms like how sometimes even in Supercorp, people are just bullying others and they're not nice and they have different different viewpoints of certain things. You know, um, how the Carmels hate the Supercorps and the Supercorps hate the Carmels. And, yeah, you know, we all like Supergirl. We just like different ships, you know? Yeah, I mean, my, my thing is, like, I do not like, the, like Carmel as a thing Mm -hmm. but that's that's because I you know the the portrayal of Monel Mm -hmm. was quite manipulative abusive Mm -hmm. um so I found that very problematic but I'm not going to go around cussing out someone that enjoys that ship you know if I do engage it would merely be hey you know you do you this is why I do not engage with it and outline my points but yeah, the whole kind of turf wars and everything that's occurred because of those differing ships is just very, very dangerous. Like, mm-hmm. especially for outsiders' view of fandoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's it's negative and just toxic, you know? And the truth is, and honestly, though, there might be Carmel shippers who see the flaws of their ship and they go, I don't want. I don't want Monel to be this way. I actually want him to be mm. a supportive person, and you know they can change the canon's character. Yeah, I think you know which we do with villains and stuff all the time, and you know we we do that in our fandom work all the time. You know, like earlier when I said Lena's Irish, and I was like, "Well, you know, she's not. That's in you know the fanfic, mm. not the canon." And there's there's canon concepts you know, like for mm-hmm. characters in the fandom that aren't actually in the the canon text. But 
we've reused them so much that that they're now you know canon to us so like with Lexa in any AU her last name is usually Woods and if someone uses a name that isn't Woods everyone's like what mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah. because you know that that's became become the fandom canon no yeah and uh, I mean when it becomes stringent like that it almost loses some of its flexibility like I don't like the name yeah. Woods I like the name Forrester or mm. Trinidad. I, I don't know. But it's like Lena Luther is not Irish. Lena Luther mm. is American through and through. So, or from the US. And we change it because we respect Katie McGraw, you know, and we like the thought of her having some sort of, we like the thought of Lena Luther having some sort of cool backstory where mm. she was taken away from something. Maybe. I mean, this is what I kind of like, so these are my opinions. But headcanons can get tricky, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, headcanons are really hard and they cause, or mm-hmm. they can cause, you know, dissent amongst the fandoms and uncalled for anger, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. I've seen people leave nasty comments purely because someone use the last name Forrest or instead of Woods for Lexa and I'm like yeah well you know I get that we're used to it being Woods but it's a fictional character that doesn't have a last name like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't like it don't read it <laughs> if any make more sense for that her last name be Triku because she's of the Triku so oh, exactly so it's just stupid yeah uh, yeah it's yeah but <laughs> Triku is almost always the name of the um, enterprise that she has. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, it's these are these are head cannons that have become law, and it's you know how are you meant to continue making original content if you have to stick to these laws? Yeah, I remember before when I tried to write fan fiction, or before I actually published any stories of my fan fiction I always felt like I had to adhere to certain rules that I because I didn't know what was canon and what wasn't canon Mm. or like I didn't know what was canon and then what was head canon so then I always felt weird about using these different names in a different way yeah thank god I got over that because it's so much (laughs) more fun when you can when you can um judge it up and make it into your own but I'm like, oh, I felt like I had to stick within these boundaries that, you know, are fairly arbitrary now that I realize it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, she can be a cocky person. <laughs> she doesn't always have to be so kind. <laughs> mm. You know, so when fan fiction gives you freedom, it's nice. Or when you allow fan fiction to give you freedom and fandom and fan art. Well, I mean, cool. that's the thing. Like, we use it for representation. Mm-hmm. and exploration of self and yet we limit people mm-hmm. to what that exploration and what that representation can be because we're so used to something and you know it's it's a fictional fucking character it can be whatever it wants that's true you know mm-hmm. I've read a fan fiction where they made Lexa black and that was because the author was black and identified mm-hmm. with Lex's character traits and everything and was like well why can't she be black she's a fictional character it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. 
and you know she got a lot of hate for doing that but it's it's true and you know that person Lexa as a black woman gave her the freedom to feel like maybe she was she felt better about herself you know so if point of fan fandom and fan fiction or fan art is Mm. to uh, fan works is allow is to allow you to feel represented changing the color or even the ethnicity of a fictional character should not be outside of that purview oh and the and the thing is like by saying that this character being this ethnicity is invalid you're also then saying that that person is invalid and invalid mm-hmm. to representation that mm-hmm. they believe re- you know well represents them um, to be a bit redundant <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's the thing that's like what I said I could not find the content that I wanted to read so I mm-hmm. wrote it and that is exactly what this person did and them making Lexa black is no different than me turning her into a fucking wolf like <laughs> no that's true right i mean for maybe half your story she's an animal uh, exactly like so you know i just find it really stupid what we and, and i mean it goes back to systematic social mm-hmm. and cultural issues that we have and it's the same with the whole um abo thing as well we do perpetuate these social stigmas and these social attitudes and these social expectations that have been brought on by mass media you know everyone's white and it's a white story and it's like well no it's a fictional character I mean at any given point she could have been black exactly and you know she could be Asian she could be Mm -hmm. um European you know like Mm -hmm. she could be African like it's 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 about what we want to write and what we we want to see and again it goes back to if you don't want to read it don't fucking read it like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have that autonomy (laughs) yes you have that right of choice exactly just like the author has the right of choice to write what they want exactly you know you don't have to like it yeah because you know while one Mm -hmm. person may not like it there may be five other people that see it and they feel represented and they feel seen and they love it. So it's also not a case of, well, you should just write it for themselves because if it's the same with like when you're in class and you think of a question and you're like, oh no, this is a stupid question. I'm not going to ask it. Mm-hmm. And the teachers say, if you're thinking that, the likelihood is five other people are thinking that. So it's the same with wanting mm-hmm. to see something. When I started writing my story, I was like, no one's going to read this. No one's going to want to read this. And I've had, oh my God, I have no idea how many views it's had. I will have a look because I actually want to know. Um, if I click on it, it should tell me. I have no idea how to see how many views this has had. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you know, it's had over 40,000 hits. So, you know, theoretically, 40,000 people have at least looked at it to see if they like it and perhaps read it. That's a lot more than I thought was going to read it. I thought it would be me and maybe one or two other people. Yeah. And that's a really great number. Yeah. But um, pandemic, it's a shit show still, sadly. (laughs) What do you do for self-care? I do a lot of, a lot. I I game. um, Mm -hmm. 
when I when my thesis allows it. You know, I I try and exercise a fair bit. Like I I'm not, definitely not doing as much as I would want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to get back into it again. I've just had a lot of like physical injuries lately, which have mm-hmm. been preventing me from doing stuff. I do I do drawing and I kind of, it's going to sound really sappy. I just kind of hang out with like my partner and see friends when I can. Yeah, like, because I'm, I'm really lucky that me and my partner, we have a lot of diverse, like different interests, but we're also quite similar. And, you know, we can just sit in a room together doing completely different things. But like, that just kind of calms me and makes me feel better. And yeah I'm like she's like my emotional support person (laughs) we don't have to talk but it's nice that we're in the same room yeah and you know I was having a really bad day after work yesterday Mm -hmm. and just knowing that I was coming home and I'd be able to see her because she was meant to be like out and she's like no no I'm, I'm at home and just knowing that I was coming home and she'd be there just immediately brightened my day no definitely I I, like during the pandemic I would sit on uh, for hours with either a friend or family members with the Mm. phone on and we weren't necessarily talking but we were just existing at the same time on the telephone which made it felt less separate even though Mm. we're like in our own perspective homes or like going for a walk with friends at the same time but they are like at different time zones and they're like okay I'll go for a walk at this time with you and it made Mm. the seclusion a little bit easier I think for myself but yeah Yeah, and that just went downhill (laughs) as far (laughs) as the whole staying in shape goes but yes I still sit for hours with friends and cousins so just watching tv and or writing and stuff so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this is probably a good place to stop. Any last things before we go? Um, no, I, I don't know. Like, I think fandoms are really powerful mm-hmm. thing. It can be good. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. But I think on the whole, it's full of such supportive and understanding people mm-hmm. and such diverse people as well it's it's just a space for love and for acceptance Mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that it remains that space and that all this petty shit doesn't grow and become toxic because you know people leave fandoms because of that and then they Mm -hmm. leave their support networks they leave people that they've considered friends purely because the environment's no longer what it was when they came in and you know their mental health potentially go downhill so I think it's important that we try as much as we can with whatever platforms we have to promote like diversity and to to promote diversity in fandoms Mm -hmm. as well as just promoting that it is a space for acceptance Mm -hmm. it is a space for love and for care and yeah yeah I think that's all I got (laughs) I have to like 100% agree with everything you just said because that's like the whole thing I think about fandom as well. And this is like one of the reasons why I started this podcast is Mm. to be able to talk with other fandom creators and um, share like what their views about fandom and their stories and 
you know, different aspects of a fandom with such diverse people, everyday people even, you know, unless I happen to interview a celebrity, which has yet to happen, but that'd be so cool. (laughs) Um. (laughs) I know, right? I'm I'm low-key trying to get um, an interview with Jack Septikai, who's a gamer, for my research. (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) I know, but I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll try. Yes. (laughs) You know, so, and there's just so much to it and so many possibilities and it can be awesome. And, but yeah, anyway, cool. Thank thank you for having me on. It's been, it's been really great. Well, no, thank you for sharing your dissertation with me and then coming on it, saying yes to coming on. I mean, I know it can be scary sometimes to talk to some random chick in Hawaii. <laughs> no, it was fun. Like, and it was nice about it again because you know I've been so snowed under with my mm-hmm. current thickness that it's just kind of like cool it was like I wrote it it's done moving on and it's actually nice to like ruminate in it and know it actually made an impact to some people mm-hmm. and I hope more people will listen to this podcast and I hope I can do it justice when I edit it so <laughs> no, I'm sure you'll do fine we'll see we'll see but <laughs> Yeah, I definitely enjoy talking with you about fandom and reading your dissertation reminded me about a lot of things that I had forgotten about. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Someone like literally put it into a, a into a sentence that I could go, oh, fuck, yes. And, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, how do I like how do I translate this into a podcast with all the different people I'm talking to? And, you know, it's just. I like the fact that fan fiction writers, for the most part, are everyday people living life and taking time out of their busy days to sit down and write a little bit, a little story about some fictional characters who make them feel seen or allow them to create worlds where they can be seen, you know? So it's just fucking awesome. That's all all I got to say. It's just fucking awesome. And yeah, I really want to try to do everyone I talk to justice as much as I'm possibly capable of at the time I talk to them. So yeah. oh, I'm sure it's going to be great. And I shall, uh, I shall listen. Cause I've got, um, what's it called? I've got um, notifications on Spotify for when you do new episodes. So, Oh, excellent. Okay. Perfect. And we're done. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Alrighty, my lovely fan beans, that's today's show. You can follow and connect with today's guest, Nightbloom6, on Tumblr at Nightbloom6, or on AO3 as Nightbloom. After that, come follow me on Tumblr and Twitter at FandomIsUs, and on AO3 as Ayaka Spencer. Don't forget, you can find links and more on the free companion post at patreon.com slash down the fandom hole. While you're there, don't forget to check out what other cool perks and benefits you can enjoy as a subscriber. And finally, a deep, heartfelt thank you to those amazing supporters who have already subscribed. Your reason this show is possible. Much love and aloha to everyone. Thank you for listening.